0: welcome to the next episode of the in development podcast my name is mariah and this is the podcast for all you city builders city shapers and city dwellers out there that care about driving change toward people-centered communities on in development we talk about how canadian cities develop in and up we are presented by idea the infill development and in edmonton association a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city
1: On today's show, we have Trevor Hoover as our guest. He's a graduate of Nate's architecture and design program, and he joined Habitat Studio, a local builder here in town. Um, In year two of their existence, and this year, 2022, they're celebrating their 30th year in existence, which we're going to talk about a little bit. That's crazy uh, amount of longevity for a company here locally. Um, Habitat Studio, they pride themselves on never designing the same home twice, which we'll talk about in the episode. They're a true custom home builder. I'm very excited to talk to Trevor about the company and about his passions and how they've made it 30 years and what the future holds for them.
0: So there's a few things we're going to define before we get into today's episode, and today's episode is incredibly great. Uh, I learned a ten, and in the outro, we'll talk about one of my favorite things that I learned from Trevor, but one of the sweetest things that I've never heard of before was the word Hugo, Uh, and I'm saying it wrong again, listen to the full episode Ryan says it properly in the episode. Uh, It's a word that he learned, uh, Ryan learned while he was traveling. Uh, And I'm sure whoever designed this home, they have traveled or maybe it's part of their heritage and the way that they live their life. But it means nurturing one's close relationships over a mulled wine, a picnic, a board game or a movie is perhaps the most Hugo thing of all. Uh, It's time spent well with friends or loved ones, the feeling that you're left with a warm hug. It's a very Hugo feeling, Uh, so it's not a definition, but it's a feeling.
1: Oh, that was really well done. Yeah, the second definition is LEED, uh, leadership in energy and environmental design. Um, It's a third-party rating system for buildings, neighborhoods, everything like that. It's uh, it saves money, improves efficiency, lowers carbon emissions, and creates healthier places for people. Um, It started off in two thousand nine from the Green Building Council in the U.S. and it's a critical part of addressing climate change. Um, enhancing our resilience through building and design and supporting a more equitable community. So we talk a little bit about um, lead platinum because one of Trevor's buildings achieved lead platinum. There's different scales of rating uh, different uh, checkpoints that you need to hit for uh, different certification levels, but one of their buildings achieved lead platinum, which is the highest level of certification. It requires at least um, 52 of 69 uh, check marks on the lead scale um, so there's a few buildings previously that achieved lead platinum. Trevor talks about one of them in this episode and, you know, it's about design, construction, maintenance, and operation of the building. So it's not just design and construction, which I think is what it previously was, but there's a lot, um, you know, lead has its critical or its criticisms as well. Um, most of it is that we, we typically think about lead buildings kind of uh, being better than everything but for for an example I guess what I'm talking about here, the the Meadows Community Recreation Center in Southeast Edmonton great building, great park it's a lead building but everybody's got to drive to get there. So is it really achieving our climate change goals? So that that's kind of one of the one of the criticisms that these buildings are typically in areas where or they can be in areas where it's not hundred percent sustainable to to get there. Um, I want to go back and talk about Hygge a little bit because yeah, I was taught about it, uh, by actual Danish people when I was traveling and they had a really hard time defining it, which I found was really, uh, hilarious. And I think your definition kind of captured that it, the way that it was explained to me is that it's, it can be literally anything, how we have, uh here in in north america you know netflix and chill sometimes they talk about like hygge and chill and it could be literally anything that makes you feel comfortable and cozy and like it's time well spent so i want to ask you mariah what is your best uh example of hygge in your life
0: uh i love reading or watching rom-com like style books and, and Netflix shows. So right now there's an episode, or there's a TV show out called Never Have I Ever. It's a Mindy Kaling show. Uh, and it's about teenagers going through high school and their experiences. Uh, and it is so funny and cringy and awesome. And it is like every night I try to this like stop after one or two episodes. So I don't like rush through it in, a, in one night. <laughs> <laughs> what about you
1: Well, that's the hallmark of I, I, honestly anything Mindy Kaling does I think is uh has that kind of um impact i think uh for me it's oh, it's my garden like I'm the psychopath that's out there on my hands and knees with scissors clipping weeds, so i'm yeah, that is my hugo place uh at night after my daughter goes to bed. I usually go out there and like kind of you know clip around in my garden a little bit, that would be my like absolute here moment. So yeah, but it can be anything. That's kind of the main thing, which I which I found was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, it's really beautiful. I feel like we need to adopt that more here. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into today's episode. We have an amazing guest with us here today. His name is Trevor. I have known him since 2017. uh, But he's been around the block much longer than that. He's a graduate of Nate from Architecture and Design Program in 1989. He joined the team uh, at Habitat Studio as a draftsman in 1994, and now is one of the partners and heads of Habitat Studio in the design section. He oversees uh, every unique design produced by the studio and the side of operations. He guides each Habitat client through a collaborative process and concepts of drawings and blueprints That precedes the building phase of every project. Trevor has a widespread respect and recognition for his distinctive designs and every home that he works on has identifiable flair regardless of the architectural style chosen by the client. Before we kick off today's interview Trevor I want to say congratulations Habitat turned 30 years old this year.
2: We did thank you very much Mariah. It's uh, 1992 April 1992 so it's been a fun ride.
0: Yeah, that is so incredibly exciting. And you've been with the company when it's like, you joined in year two, year three?
2: I joined in year two. Yeah. So I've actually been here 28 years.
0: What are some of your favorite highlights from your time with Habitat over that 28 years?
2: Oh boy. Uh, We've had some very interesting uh, employees over the years. I had a lot of, I'll call it flair. Always kept the business fun. The previous... Ownership group founders uh, were a great group of people to work with. Obviously, they did a lot of mentoring for us that are still here. And then we've had some really fun clients over the years that just not only are super nice people, but let us be as creative as we wanted to be. So,
0: yeah. Well, I think uh, of all the idea members, you, are de- you and Habitat are definitely one of the more fun companies that I get to work with. I remember in 2017, uh, you told me about how every Friday at four, I believe, you guys stop working and share drinks uh, as a group to get to know each other and kind of close off the week. And that's always inspired me to try and make Idea more fun and have more camaraderie uh, in the organization.
2: Yeah, we've been doing that for probably 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) We do a lot of fun stuff. We just had a company breakfast the other day. So the four owners get up early and we come in and we make everybody breakfast. The whole company comes in. We have a little soiree before everyone goes off to work. At that last one, we had uh, the employees all get to vote for the employee of the year. Cool. So we had the unveiling of the employee of the year. There's a trophy. There's a, you know, they get a check. So, yeah, we get to do lots of fun stuff.
0: That's awesome.
2: What do you make for breakfast? This time was egg burritos.
0: (gasps) That sounds so good. Oh, my gosh. Is that one of your specialties?
2: No, that was the first time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. It's an adventurous thing for first time for a big group of people. (laughs) Uh, So how did you first get started in the design side?
2: Oh, boy. That's a kind of a funny story. I was in high school. Uh, grew up on a farm, small town, northern Alberta, and I was in high school and my counselor came to me and said, what are you going to do when you when you grow up? And I had assumed I wanted to be a farmer, but by grade 12, I figured out there was no life for the small farmer anymore. So I said, I have no idea. And she said, you're pretty good at drawing. You doodle a lot. I think you should take architecture at NAIT. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took a year off, I worked for a year, and then I came to Edmonton, the little farm boy and uh, went to Nate and absolutely loved it. Everything about it. We had uh, a lot of fun again. Another one of those stories where a farm boy comes to the city, goes to school, meets a pretty girl, falls in love, marries her, still married to the same woman. It's just the creativity that you can put into it. If you really, if, 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 if it's your passion, if you just copy something out of a book all the time or, you know, and there's all types of designers And uh, you also need technical people. So I kind of started out more in the technical side, worked for a few architects in the late 80s, early 90s, where there was no work. Um, But eventually it just grew and grew and grew. And then when I landed here, our clientele base typically allows us to be super creative. And it's just so much fun. So I kind of fell into it by mistake, to be honest. But it's worked out.
0: (laughs) That's amazing that uh, you had such a hands-on counselor that knew, like, could take some inspiration on things that you already did and kind of steer you in the right direction.
2: Well, small town, small school, right? So
0: Yeah, my mom grew up in a small town. I think she had 500 people in her graduating class uh, and I had 1,500 people in her graduating class, in my graduating class.
2: Guess how many I had?
0: Uh, 150?
2: <laughs> Nine.
0: No. <laughs> Nine. I was so off. <laughs> yeah, so good thing she was hands on. She was good at her job. Yeah,
2: it was a small town. Yeah. Uh,
0: so can you tell me a bit about your design process uh, working with Habitat and working with your clients?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, so we've never designed or built the same house twice in 30 years. So again, that, that's a lot of the fun we get to do. So what we do is, uh, it's changed over the years just with technology, but right now we uh, have a questionnaire that our clients do online. So we send them a link to this questionnaire. There's probably 150 questions. Um, I always encourage them to open up a bottle of wine and take two or three days to do it, <laughs> and they do. As well as collecting different f- photos, pictures from uh, we always encourage house, h o u z z dot com, but now more and more are doing you know Pinterest or whatever other format. It doesn't really matter as long as they can share them with us. So between meeting with the client. Uh, Them doing the the questionnaire and looking at their house account and all the pictures that they send us is what we start the design process with. We then, the very first thing we do is we summarize everything and we do it in just a spreadsheet. So we take everything that they've told us, summarize it all. And with that, I can say, okay, from what you're telling me, you need a house that is 2000 square feet, whatever the number is. They may be thinking it was only going to be a thousand square feet. So there's a disconnect before we even start. So before I've even drawn a line, we're able to communicate with them and tell them, okay, this isn't gonna work the way you think it's gonna work. We need to reevaluate. Can some rooms get smaller? Can some rooms be dual purpose? Or it can be the other way around too, right? They're thinking it's gonna be 3,000 square feet and I'm telling them 2,000 square feet, so. So once we uh, everyone's on the same page, we do some preliminary work, I'm, I'm still old school. So I believe it or not, still do everything with a pencil and sketch trace. And then I give it to my team. They make it look pretty. And then we meet with the client however many times. We do the exterior, you know, again from their their inspirations that they've sent us. And then we actually get to a budget. The budget is a big deal because that could be a dream killer or it can be a dream maker. Most of the time it's a dream maker. Once we have a budget, and a, and a conceptual design that everybody's on board with, then we pull the trigger and finish off our design and our construction drawings and apply for permit. So that's kind of design in a nutshell.
0: That's uh, it's so funny, Ryan. Right? I will talk to you a bit more about this later, uh, but I definitely have um, my husband and I. We want to build a, a house one day, and one of my favorite houses in Edmonton. I didn't realize till today is one of your houses, and we have it in our like save folder on, on my phone oh, wow. for inspiration.
2: <laughs> wow, wow. What neighborhood is it in?
0: Oh, it's uh, by the University of Alberta, if you want to take okay. a guess. Which one is
2: Windsor Park or Belgravia, yeah. Yeah, yeah Windsor mm. Park. Yeah, very nice. We have a number of beautiful homes in there.
0: Um, so for future Mariah or other future listeners, um, how long does that process take? The design process?
2: Good question. Um, it really varies on a couple things. One, on how busy we are, but more importantly, how busy you are. So if I come up with a design and, and we meet and go over it and I don't hear from you in a month, it's going to take a year. If I hear from you in a week, then we can, we can design a home in a couple months. Um, construction drawings, maybe another month, if every, you know, the stars align. If they don't, you know, anywhere from three to six months kind of thing.
0: Well, that's good to know for future Mariah's sake. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's not an overnight thing. Um, I do have clients who try to rush design. And when I say rush, right, they're like phoning me back the next day and not really letting it soak in and understanding what and how the home can function. So it's good to take a little bit of time. So the more upfront time you can have with a with a proper design, the better
0: yeah I usually tell my friends who are interested in infill the paper process of an infill home takes about a year, and then mm-hmm. the construction process takes about six months to a year, depending on what mm-hmm. you're building.
2: yeah, yeah, you're pretty close. <laughs> and then, of course, then, of course, my favorite part is getting a permit. <laughs> that can take another three, four, five, six months, so you got to kind of put that into the equation if you're trying to work backwards from when you want to start to when you have to start design.
0: Yeah, I uh, I don't think, uh, or maybe you actually would know better than I. Uh, your average client, do they know about variances before they come to you or they just come with dreams?
2: Before they come to us, generally not. It's pretty rare if they know and they don't need to. They just have to come to us and ask the question and say, this is what we want. And i say... Well, that's great, but you can't, that's a variance. We can do it, but just be aware, we might end up at the DAB or whatever, right, so.
1: I got to ask questions about this questionnaire, because I know uh, on your website, you've got um, or you mentioned that every single project you treat differently. Uh, that's very evident when you look through the design of every single house there. How much of these questions are kind of functional design based and how much of them are just trying to get to know the people that you are designing for? Like do you have what is your favorite dinosaur or your favorite pizza place in Edmonton? Are those kinds of questions that you might find on the questionnaire?
2: Uh, no, it's generally nothing not related to the design of the home, like outside influences. But we do ask things like, do you have art collections, right? We've we've had clients that have, you know, 10 foot by eight foot pieces of art. So they need wall. They need less window. And then we have people that say, I want a glass house, depending on, right, their view or whatever. So, uh, in terms of getting to know them, it's probably 70% of the questions and then there's a few more technical or obvious yes, no answers. Um, but for the most part, it's just trying to get to know them and understand what they like, how they fo- how they function. You know, do you have one kid or nine kids, right? Makes a big difference. So those, those typical kind of things.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, and I know that Habitat has uh, kind of a huge passion for sustainable design. I think you've been, what, eight or nine years running the CHBA Environmental Recognition Award winner. So um, what? tell me about that. Where did your passion for sustainable design come from?
2: Well, a couple answers to that. One, my mother. <laughs> I didn't even know it at the time, but my mom recycled everything. She threw nothing in the garbage. Like I'm talking tin cans and plastic bags or paper bags everything we recycled if it could go to the farm somehow it did she never threw it away so it's always been kind of without me really even knowing part of me and then to be honest the other half I kind of inherited it sustainability was always a part of this company from day one day one so you know when I started in 94 you, you just had to learn about it and before you know it it didn't take very long to figure out this is going to be the way of the world or at least the way of Canada and North America before very long, so it was just a no-brainer and I was fortunate enough to be heavily involved um, right at the very beginning
1: probably evolved over time too, and we're definitely gonna get into that. I, I see on, on Habitat's website that you have a list of sustainable practices that you incorporate into every build, I think there's uh, 18 of them. Do they go into every single house and is this kind of uh, studio led or is this coming from clients or how, how do those integrate?
2: Some of our clients come to us saying they want a net zero house. Some of them come saying they don't care Most do care and they want some level of sustainability, energy efficiency, whatever we want to call it. Um, When it comes to something like the Alberta Building Code, we actually don't even really pay attention to it because we don't need to because we've been doing it so differently for so long. We've never built a house with a two by six wall. Never. When it comes to building and designing anyone's home, it's going to be more energy efficient and sustainable than anyone else is on the block, whether you like it or not. <laughs> That's just what we do. Um, you know, just as simple as a two by six wall, which is code. That gives you R you can squeeze in an R24 now. We do a two by eight. That's kind of our bare bone basic. But now I can also because I'm two by eight, I can put my studs at two foot on center. So they're a little bit further apart. So the at the end of the day the lumber package cost is about the same. But now I have more insulation Less thermal bridging. It's just win-win-win, right? So when you kind of look at the science and uh you know overall costs, it's no-brainer. Did that answer your question?
1: <laughs> it absolutely does. Yeah. We actually just had a guest on last time, I believe Sikander Singh, and he was talking about, you know, how two by six walls are going the way of the Dodo Bird, anyways, with the building code. So you guys are already well ahead. Um, there's actually a couple things I was going through your sustainable your 18 point list here and there's a couple that i'd never heard of before that i wanted to ask you about uh Uh, wood timber window wells yeah let's get your let's let's see how well you do with the details here trevor wood (laughs) timber window wells why do you use wood timber window wells instead of metal
2: well a they're aesthetically pleasing
1: agreed i got them on my house i
2: agree okay the metal ones you can only get in a certain size typically our basement's I'll call them basements, are, uh, have large windows. Like I'm talking a six foot wide by three or four foot tall window in a basement. Sometimes we're, of course, infill. We're limited with height more than greenfield. So we have to push the house into the ground a little bit more. Now I have these big windows, so we need a big window well. Sometimes they're so big we call them moats. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously we have ways of draining them, etc., etc. But cetera, but... Um, it's generally because of the size of the window and they're solid, you know, big six by 6s pressure treated wood. They'll stay there forever.
1: No, that makes sense. And then the second one is uh, nine foot one ceilings are standard in basement. What does that have to do with sustainability?
2: Less waste, way less waste. So typically they'll put in a, uh, your cribber will put in a nine foot high foundation wall. Now you have to put in uh, your slab, which is, you know, anywhere from three to five, six inches. So now all of a sudden your ceiling is only eight foot six, your stud lengths, your drywall, everything else, you're you're having to buy the extra size up material and cut it all away and throw it away. This might be off topic, but years and years ago, our fr- our framer uh, had a, we had a bit of a gap for him in terms of, you know, moving on to the next house. So he took a house with another company, uh track builder. They know exactly how many nails and pieces of two by four go into every home. Right? Because it's built over and over and over and over again. So he built this house and then he phoned them up and said, I'm done. Here's my invoice. And they said, No, our site super drove by, excuse me, your project today and you're not done. There's still lumber out front. He said, Oh, I know. I used habitats details. And they're like, What are you talking about? So they go out and look. Well, to this day, they've adopted all those details for their project, which is great because, you know, a, they're going to make more money, <laughs> but B, there's just that much less waste going into the landfill and less lumber, less material. I can't share them with you because I'd have to kill you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so exciting! I never would have thought about it that way when uh Ryan talked about the ceiling heights. I was like, what does that have to do with it? Like, I was like, air circulation, air tightness, what's happening? <laughs> no,
1: <Nope>, just waste. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, it's continuously evolving at some point, maybe standard will be the two by eight walls. How are you going to evolve after that when everyone catches up to you or the building code catches up? How, how are you continuously evolving where you getting your inspiration from?
2: We're already way ahead of the two by eight wall. The two by eight wall is our bare bone basic. So most of our houses have a 12 inch wall. Two two by four walls, you basically build two walls and space them 12 inches apart. You fill that entire cavity full of blown-in uh, insulation, and there is zero thermal bridging to the outside. Zero. Because there's nothing touching the outside that's touching the inside. Now I also have that much insulation in my wall that when it comes to putting in a plug-in or a switch or anything that needs to break into that wall and that vapor barrier, I still have you know 10 inches of insulation behind it as opposed to a two-by-six wall now only has four. We've come up with details in terms of uh, air tightness. We can get our homes down to 0.5 or less air exchanges per hour. Super, super, like crazy tight. So tight, in fact, we have to mechanically, obviously mechanically control all the fresh air that comes in, goes into homes. We've, we've built homes for families where their children have asthma and they throw away their puffer because the home can be that clean inside.
0: Wow, that's so amazing! The amount of like yeah health benefits that that gives and peace of mind for that mm-hmm. family too is just mm-hmm. that's unbelievable.
2: So almost the two by eight wall is almost the way of the dodo bird for us already. Oh boy! <laughs> Generally, the the only reason we do use it is if like a tight lot and we need the square footage on the inside of the house. An extra four inches on each side, eight inches. You know, a smaller home that can make a big difference. So, but for the most part, every home is a 12 inch wall now.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, uh, we'll have to go back and edit a... Okay, Episode, I guess, but yeah, that's that, that's actually crazy. It just kind of blew my mind there. I I gotta ask, um, are you ever getting pushback from clients? Because this is just the way you build, and I guess clients are coming to you knowing that. But do you ever get clients pushing back and saying, "Yeah, you know, maybe a two by six, maybe I'll save some money that way," or how how do conversations like that usually go?
2: Yeah, we do get people like that for sure, and we get people that want, like I said earlier, the glass house, right? So, um, and that's okay. You know, not everybody's the same. I get it. Everyone's, you know, they like different things. Once we kind of explain the logistics and the cost savings, not only... So a 2 by 8 wall is a a little bit more money, very marginal, just because of the insulation that we're putting in, not the lumber. So once you you explain that, they're like, oh, okay, well, I can at least do that. And then we talk about the long-term benefits of a quieter home, Um, I remember once years ago, we had clients move from their existing home into the new home and we moved their appliances. They took their appliances and they weren't in that house a week. And they said, there's something wrong with our fridge. And we said, well, why do you think that? Well, I can hear it now. I said, well, that's because you can't hear the road noise anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh, I never thought of that. (laughs) Right. So it's quieter. Um, And then the overall savings over the multiple generations or number of years that they're gonna live in the house just on energy. Have you seen the price of gasoline lately?
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, we're all getting rebates for it now. It's all the right.
2: same. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have you seen your clients kind of evolve over the past uh twenty eight years of your um of your career at, at Habitat? Like are they asking for better performance or um are they a little bit more knowledgeable about the sustainable side of um design and building?
2: For sure. They're way more knowledgeable. In fact, a little bit too much. (laughs) The internet was not a good thing. It's like going to the doctor and you know what your problem is before you even get there, right? So they often come to us knowing, you know, and sometimes they're right. They know as much as we do for sure. Uh, They have evolved because of that. They're a lot more knowledgeable. I don't think it's because I'm getting older, but our clients are getting younger. (laughs) So that's changed for sure. And they come knowing what they want more now and what they would really like. Before it was just kind of a dream and and this wasn't, you know, designing your own home from scratch wasn't really an option. It was. Obviously, very few people did it, though, and no one really knew about it. So you just go into a show home somewhere, pick a plan off the wall, move a wall, pick your paint color, and you're good. Go away. It'll be done when you come back, right? um so our process is a lot different and i think if you could design a car and put the speedometer wherever you wanted i think most people would want to do that
1: yeah where would you put the speedometer i'm trying to think of somewhere else like maybe <laughs> middle of the steering
2: wheel mm-hmm.
1: like, i think it's in the perfect spot but i haven't even thought about this
2: on the windshield <laughs> no. clear yeah clear on the windshield exactly exactly
0: i've seen new cars with that where they have the like a clear glass plate that shows it all there so you're not looking down you're looking straight ahead oh man yeah plus i find that i like my seat up way higher than other people do because i'm just not as tall as the average person
2: well you can have that with a house yeah
0: (laughs) so So, yeah
1: everybody's got a pinterest page which really her pinterest board which probably helps but also might hinder. Yeah, I always joke about how like Pinterest and House and all those shows on TLC kind of killed the interior design profession a little bit, or definitely hurt the ones that are actually licensed. You have interior designers in house, don't you?
2: We do. I have two interior, full time
1: interior designers. Yeah. Yeah, and a full team of carpenters and a landscaper as well. Like you're you're more than just a design company.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I uh, actually this morning uh, approved payroll (laughs) so i went through the list and we have 31 employees right now
0: wow that's really incredible
2: yeah it's quite a few
0: what's some of the other specialties that ryan didn't list off for our listeners
2: specialties in terms of what we do uh yeah so we uh obviously do all our own design work both the i call it architectural design as the interior design we also have our interior designers also do interior decorating so if somebody's out there and thinking they want to replace all their furniture and drapes, we can help them with that. A landscape team and a full solar division. So we do all our own solar install and design. We have a, uh, a master electrician on staff and him and his team, they do all our own solar. So if somebody phones us up tomorrow and says, will you come put solar on my house? Most certainly would.
0: Oh, wow, that's incredible.
2: We have a very talented, very talented team of I guess they're carpenters but they're more like artists and they can do such amazing work right like we do lots of steel work and or places that can't or won't do it for us you go to your standard prefab shop or they just want an astronomical amount of money so we just fabricated ourselves.
1: Oh I love Mm -hmm. that as a design solution yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah because then as a designer I don't have to think about what they can and can't build right so we just just sky's the limit like stairs stairs well we've been some crazy stairs over the years they just look amazing right and then but then you know the typical stair companies out there can't touch it we have one that has glass treads the entire stair is glass the entire stair oh man we have photos of it on our website and if you look closely you can see her shoes on the on the from the bottom yeah super cool that is cool (laughs)
0: I have to go relook at that photo. <laughs> um, when so, idea gets heavily involved in the zoning bylaw renewal. And in our last one of our last episodes with Sekander, uh, we talked about roof pitches and how there are more optimal roof pitches than what's currently allowed for solar. Uh, so please remind me later this month to message you and your t- your solar team about what their optimal preferred roof pitches are.
2: <laughs> Got it. Got it. I'll send
1: you a note. I also love it because that goes back to your whole uh, design process of being custom, right? If I'm not mistaken, um, you create your own solar PV systems as well, right? Like having that master electrician in-house and doing your own design, you're not just bound by, you know, what's available in the market. Is that right? Mm
2: -hmm. That's exactly right. And, and, And a lot of the solar panels are hard to get. So we've recently moved to a new building and we have a warehouse now. So we're stocked up with panels as we speak, because if I can't get them for six months, um, like a 18 foot wide garage overhead door, then, you know, we have stock.
1: You, uh, one of your projects, I think it's in Parkland County or Parkland somewhere, but it achieved LEED Platinum. Oh yeah. So very few single family homes achieve LEED Platinum or even go for it. Is that something that was uh, end user driven or is third party certification something that you guys are always looking to, to achieve?
2: Uh, that was driven by the client, um, for sure. They were engineers, and uh, they wanted to go lead. I don't want to bash lead, but I would not recommend it. <laughs> it's so much paperwork, like ridiculous. And it has really it has nothing to do with the actual performance of the house and how well it performs. I could build a net zero house, but if I'm out on an acreage, I lose points because I have to drive to the grocery store. What does that have to do with with the performance of the house. If, if, if you make it termite proof, well, that's not very hard <laughs> since we don't have termites, <laughs> right? So I, I think it was the first lead Platinum home in Alberta. That was a few years ago. And that house is also net zero. Some of our clients want the certification. Most of them just want a great home. Right. They don't care what the end number is.
1: Yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, they they probably do when they're telling their friends about it. But uh, yeah, it's it's not something they're looking for for sure. Uh, you mentioned net zero because you, you do quite a few of those too. You're just to clarify, you're talking about net zero energy, or are you doing kind of net zero emissions buildings as well?
2: Net zero energy.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we just had Sikander Singh on who who was talking quite a lot about that. But um, it seems like that seems to be a growing market for single
2: family home design. It depends on who you talk to. So. It is, most people don't necessarily need to go, because it does cost a little bit extra to go to full net zero or full certification net zero. Again, most people, most of our clients just want a a home that's, you know, 90% of the way there, that performs extremely well, is super comfortable, they get low energy bills, and they feel good about their home. And they can, like you say, tell their friends about it. Uh, net zero is growing, which is good. A caveat, don't believe everything you hear. It's pretty easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, all my homes are net zero, but they are not. Have we had homes certified? Oh, for sure. A lot. We did one in, we actually have a project in Westmount, which was a 16 unit apartment, along with a church on that property. There was no gas line on that property. The old church has seven furnaces that couldn't keep up. And now there's no gas. And that project is net zero. Yeah. So, but not all our homes are net zero. So, when people say, other designers, builders, whoever, that, yeah, we build all net zero homes, are they? It's a big word now. And it's a really cool catchphrase. So, I think people are starting to overuse it, kind of like the word custom home. <laughs> you know, we're a custom home builder. Well, that, that means you get to pick, pick your paint color, right? So,
0: it's like the word clean. Or uh, organic, there's no...
2: Yeah, what does it mean, right?
0: (laughs) You had kind of mentioned earlier that especially on some of uh, the narrow lots that infill homes go on, you have to do sometimes not the walls that you prefer to do uh, because the lot size is just smaller. Is there some regulations, like I've talked to the city about this, that we need to be a bit more lenient when we want to build uh, thicker walls and not penalize the homeowner by them losing eight inches. Is there other things that uh, your homeowners are looking for, especially in an infill scenario, that rules and regulations need to change for? Uh,
2: well, actually, that's 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 a good point. The, the big one right now is the garden suites. So, right, garden suites can only be, I don't remember all the numbers I have to ask Paul, so big, unless I make it uh, handicap accessible, and then I can make it a little bit bigger because I put in wider stairs, wider hallways, an elevator, etc., etc., bigger doors. But then I, if I put in a 12-inch wall in this home to make it, maybe they want to go net zero or just crazy energy efficient. Now I'm being penalized because it's measured on the outside. So they lose six inches around the whole home. And in a small project like that, that's a lot of area, a lot. Uh, four feet on your side yards is tight already. I would never, ever recommend going. They do allow you to push your insulation into that, like if you added a styrofoam or a board on the outside. So I don't think that should be compromised. Height. Don't get me going on height. <laughs> Why? Why? Where all the big tall trees are, I have to build a shorter home where there are no trees. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, things like that. And then, of course, there's the whole front drive garage scenario versus... Uh, detached right so it's just, it's just more sustainable when your garage is attached or under your house right I have less walls that I have to heat now
0: I really love attached garage I don't think they need to always be in the front I think they could be in the back they could be attached by a breezeway uh, I think context really matters um, not every community in Edmonton has boulevard trees yet we have these regulations that it's not context specific which just blows my mind. Uh, but yeah, Ryan, I'll let you get into your rent because I could go for the next four minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Front, front garages are, uh, or attached garages just in general. Like Mariah was saying, that's a huge one. Is that one of the biggest things that you, you have clients come to ask you for that? You have to be kind of like, oh, we're going through, we, we might not be able to achieve that or.
2: Yeah, that's a big one. A lot of people ask that a lot. And w- whether it's in the front or in the back, you know, I don't. I like the breezeway idea the most. Um, you know, you just slam it up against the back of the house and now you got a 45-foot-long driveway in some of these neighborhoods, right? So that doesn't make any sense either. Um, but that is one that most clients, I bet it, over half of our clients ask if they can have a front-drive garage. And I tell them right there and then, we can go for it, but we will have to go to the SDAB. And oddly enough, we were there I've been there twice in the last month. And hopefully some victories. The first one was. The second one, the jury's still out.
0: Yeah, I find it very frustrating. As like in Edmonton, we talk about, a lot about being winter city friendly, about right. being wanting to be uh, more inclusive and accessible. And like I made the comment earlier about I like my seat up higher in cars because it gives me the visual ability to see more where my husband doesn't have to adjust the seat up so high it wasn't it was designed with his body in mind. It's the same thing with attached garages. Like one day, maybe there'll be a stroller in my future. That's not going to be fun to push through a bunch of snow. It's not fun with groceries. like I, I'm not sure what we're prioritizing as a city.
2: yeah, the the problem was they whitewashed every community in the infill with the same brush and just makes no sense to me. You got these little tiny 33 by 110 foot lots in Mill Creek. And I got the same regulations as a 90 by 180 foot lot in Windsor Park. Like, really? I have to build this. I got to follow the same regulations. And then some, some neighborhoods, um, you know, uh, Aspen Gardens were doing a project in there. You drive through and every second or third house has a front attached garage that was built in the sixties, and and the other ones are in the back. So don't tell me they had this in mind from day one, because back in the sixties and seventies they were still doing whatever. So why does that have to suddenly change? And 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 you know I get the the skinnies, which let's not talk about that. Um, you can't put a front drive garage on it because that's all you see. It's just a giant door, right? So that's why neighborhoods should all be traded differently.
0: Yeah, context is so important.
2: Very important. And I
0: find, it, I what I really like about the breezeway option is like it creates this little courtyard too of a, mm-hmm. I like, feel like a little oasis for mm-hmm. uh, you and whoever else lives there. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. We've actually done a number of uh, underground tunnels. So your basement or your garage will have a full basement underneath it. So you come, you drive in and this, w- this was in the early days when there was no option. You couldn't have a front drive and you couldn't attach it in the back. And even back then in the early days, an underground tunnel still considered it attached even though you couldn't see it. So we would have to go to the DAB for that, yeah. So we'd put a full basement under the garage, whether it's a workshop or we, we had one family that put their kids Lego setup in the basement of the garage. And then there's a tunnel that goes completely underground over to the house, basement of the house. And then generally we put a set of stairs near it. So at least you can avoid the elements. Um, You can avoid any safety concerns, whatever, just you're in your house without having to spend it outside in the winter. Or, you know, we have clients that are work shift work. So they come home late at night and, you know, I know it's still your backyard, but they just feel safer. Not having to go inside.
0: Yeah. We still live in a city. It's, we're, we're around other people, so we need to be conscious of how we access different spaces at different times of day. Uh, you mentioned height. Is that something that your clients often are looking for?
2: Yeah. <laughs> we do a lot of tall homes. <laughs> well, some of the lots aren't very big, so your only option is to go up. Nobody builds a bungalow anymore, so you do a two-story, and then you they decide to have a flat roof. Hey, I talk them into putting a patio up on the roof. <laughs> Or whatever, right? They allow three stories now, so that's new. That's a, a good move, as opposed to the two and a half. So typically, we had to hide whatever loft space we had into that attic space. Um, but again, then you're just pushing it deep in the ground. You're not going to have nine foot ceilings. You're not going to have even even steps up to the front door. We just completed one. It's a three story home. It's tall. Looks fantastic. Um, where the front, the main floor is lower than the curb at the front street. So you actually walk down to the front door. Wow. Just, just because we had to height restrictions, right? So if I had an extra two or three feet, wouldn't have been a problem.
0: Well, that also comes with complication for tying into your sewer systems, right? Because the sewer system for EPCOR already exists. So if you go too far down to try and fit in what people are looking for, then you have to add in extra pipes and stuff. And every extra connection is one more place where it can become faulty.
2: Oh, Mariah, you need to come work for me. <laughs> <laughs> we think outside the box a lot. Um, and it's fun, it's great. So that particular house, it depends on the, on the neighborhood. So we have, there are neighborhoods where the sewer comes in at 10 feet, and then there's neighborhoods where it comes in at four. Well, I'm not going to build a four foot deep basement anymore, right? So we have, there's lots of different ways between different lift stations and pumps and grinders and everything else that can deal with all of that stuff. We have one project recently completed that it was actually in the in the paper a few months ago. The entire backyard is an underground gymnasium. It's twenty eight feet deep. You can see where the sewer comes in way up in here. <laughs> but when you're when you're that deep, obviously you're taking you know, pumping and water seriously. So there's alarms, there's dual pumps, there's triple pumps, whatever you kinda have to come up with. But yeah. So it can be a challenge, but for the most part that's the least of our worries. You you were gonna say, how do you deal with foundations? I was going to ask about the drainage
1: going towards your foundations mostly, but
2: my foundation, you know, my, my floor is not sitting on top of my foundation wall anymore because it's going to rot out, right? Because it's wood. So now my floor has to hang from the inside of my foundation wall. Well, now I have thermal bridging. So there's details that we have to kind of go around to deal with that. But yeah, you're right. It's going to run back to the, the front yard is going to drain towards the house. Sorry. I, I was going to say
1: that creates a lot of interesting design problems in my opinion for how to deal with that. Like right. even where to put your roof leaders is kind of interesting yeah. in that
2: circumstance. Yeah. Totally.
1: Yeah. Okay. What, what project was this? I definitely want uh, listeners to go and check this one out. <laughs> I'm not sure I should
2: give away the address. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, just uh, have a, have a client of yours have, hundreds of people snapping pictures uh, in front of their house every day is not good. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're they're private, quiet people. So, yeah.
1: Uh, I, I want to ask about um, kind of uh, going off of Mariah's uh, question here about the zoning by renewal. You must have a wish list, you know, height, attached garages, setbacks. If you had to kind of prioritize them, what would be kind of your your number one thing that you think could help uh, sustainable design or, or the work that you do with one small change in, in the zoning bylaw.
2: My small change in the zoning bylaw would be to get rid of the MNO. That would be a huge change right there. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that too.
0: <laughs> Hopefully uh, I, I can make your wishes come true. <laughs> hmm.
2: uh, my number one, I'm not sure. Heights a pretty big one that limits us a lot with what we can do. Uh, I, I think, contextually speaking again some some areas should have maybe a different site coverage right Um, setbacks was always like the front yard was a pain in the neck and still is Um, we had one home years ago that we pushed forward we had to go to the DAB back then you had to measure every house on your block and there was one house that was 55 feet back from the front way back, and it skewed the numbers so bad that that's why we had to go to the DAB. So if we didn't use that, and it was an old crappy bungalow that you knew somebody, it's gone now. So the moment that house was gone, all of a sudden I could go way forward. So just the way they measure the front yard and the way they way they measure height. So do you know where Skunk Hollow is? Yep. I don't know what the actual name of the development is, but we call it Skunk Hollow. The lots are so steep there that you dig a basement and you're still out of the ground, so you gotta put in a second basement. You cannot build a bungalow on those lots because your house is too tall on the way they technically measure height. Well Vancouver's been doing this for years and years and years. Why can't we adopt their way of measuring height? I get the flat lot, but that's what the bylaw is made for, just the regular old flat lot, right? So
0: uh, So Ryan and I were going through your website and we had the same favorite house, uh, and he had a couple other favorite houses, so I had mentioned it earlier, uh, but it was, oh, Ryan, I'm going to butcher how to say it. Do you want to go ahead?
1: (laughs) No, we practiced this, Mariah. You have to say it
2: now. (laughs) I better look it up because I don't know all the names. Our clients generally get to pick the name for their home. Ah. so that's, oh, that's cool.
1: yeah that's
0: lovely. i was wondering
1: i was wondering because they all have very unique names so i was wondering where that came from
2: they do yeah yeah
0: there was no like common thread <laughs> no <laughs> no uh okay while well, you pull it up uh our, the, the house that i have like multiple times in my phone collection uh is in windsor park and it's called hug huggy no this is just terrible <laughs> oh it's a danish word and it has a wonderfully lovely lovely meaning Mm. uh, to have like the feeling of cozy and welcoming uh, and comfort and ryan can say it properly because he can actually roll his r's (laughs) and has some sort of uh, superpower in dialect that i definitely do not have (laughs) but do you know the project that i'm referring to trevor
2: oh yeah oh yeah for sure and again Fantastic people, fantastic clients.
0: Yeah. So what was uh, the process like building that house?
2: This is actually one of our dream homes because of the client. They were so open to ideas. They just kind of threw stuff at us and said, let's run with this. And we did. You know, that one actually has a garden suite in the back, oddly enough. Um, It's in Windsor Park, uh, keeps them close to work. Uh, you know, if they decide they, they don't right now, but down the road, if they need a caregiver, they can have, stay in the garden suite or rent it out to students, whatever the case may be. But yeah, and the inside, they had a lot of inspiration and our team did a really good job in pulling that one all together. It looks fantastic.
0: Yeah. Everything from the outside looked so intentional and beautiful. And then when I got to see it on your website today, I was like, oh, the outside is gorgeous, but the inside is breathtaking. It's unbelievable. Just as gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hats off to your team and those clients that worked together on that project.
2: Yeah. No, they were terrific people. No, I am looking at it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, take a good look. Whoever does your photography does a good job too. So, Um, yeah, my favorite was was that uh, that same one in uh, the the in Windsor Park, and then of course uh, Ashen Arbors in Belgravia. It's so different on the streetscape than anything else. It's it's very boxy, and it's almost like a one story, except for like a second floor loft or something. It looks like It, it looks like a piece of art on the street.
2: This is uh, the
1: which one in Aspen Gardens? Sorry, Ashen Arbors in Belgravia. I know you don't know the names, but it was, yeah, it's the Mm -hmm. one in Belgravia. I walk by it all the time. It's fantastic. Okay.
0: When did you first notice it, Ryan?
1: Probably, yeah, when I was dreaming about living in that neighborhood, probably. Um,
2: (laughs) Yeah. That house House won awards.
1: Of course it did. It looks fantastic. Sustainability awards or design
2: awards or? Design awards, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It's yeah. so boxy and it's so different than anything on the yeah. street, but it is powerful. I know. It's so good.
2: Yet in that community, it fits. 100%. So sometimes, you know, people say, well, you can't build that there because it doesn't fit. But in that community, it does. Mm-hmm. Right. It is so different, but there's a number of other ones that are, you know, similar styles popping up and the eclecticness, if that's a word, uh, of yeah. Belgravia is fantastic.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. But just how you how you hid the front garage in this one, just that's that's a fantastic way to do it. I'm curious about your favorite projects if you want to uh, pick out a few. I'll
2: probably get in trouble. <laughs> just say all of them. Uh, all of them equally. Yeah, all of them is right. <laughs> there's, there's, there's probably a few that aren't my favorite, but most of them are my favorite. And a lot of it has to do with the clients. Like I would have more favorite clients than actual the actual home. Um, there's a lot of homes we design that aren't my taste or style whatsoever, right? And then there are a lot that are, but it's still just as fun trying to be as creative as we can with those people. So to me, it's more about the actual client. A lot of our clients we're still friends with, we invite them over, you know, they sometimes throw an open house when it's done and have everybody in, so.
1: Oh, sorry. Do they get invited to breakfasts and uh, get to vote on employee of the year? (laughs) That's a good
2: idea, though. Hmm. Mind you, not all our employees work at every project, so that wouldn't be fair.
0: No. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about infill and infill neighborhoods. There are tons of projects I love in Edmonton, but there's also... Some that are just not my flavor, but Mm -hmm. uh, Ryan and I joke around a lot about different flavors of ice cream and different ice cream shops in Edmonton, and just because Made by Marcus is not my favorite does not mean it's not fabulous.
2: Right, right. Yeah, they have 52 flavors, but every time you go there, you have the same one.
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, the problem with Made by Marcus is they have too adventurous of flavors, and I am too easily influenced So I've ended up with (laughs) uh, fruit with chili peppers in it, which I thought was going to be great. And then it I don't know. It was okay. It was tangy. Okay. Uh, We've taken up a ton of your time this afternoon. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. The last thing before I let you go is we ask all of our guests for a call to action to our listeners. Uh, So this can be anything... Um, from going to read a blog about sustainability or going to Made by Marcus and trying out their zesty flavors. Uh, But this is your opportunity to talk straight to our listeners.
2: Keep your head up and your stick on the ice. (laughs) Full red (laughs) green quote. (laughs) Uh, No, I encourage everyone to check out our website. You can learn a lot about us. We're all over social media. Uh, We're www.habitat-studio.com and uh yeah click on there and follow us thank you very much
0: yeah if uh if the uh, mine and ryan's favorite project didn't didn't influence you to go check out their website that totally glass staircase i'm sure it did
2: (laughs) yeah uh yeah is that what i'm gonna just look that was a renovation just fyi so it might be under oh there it is the quantum
0: the quantum Mm -hmm. all right perfect
2: very special house
0: Well, thanks so much for spending your afternoon with us, Trevor, and have a wonderful rest of your week. And get out, enjoy Edmonton's beautiful weather. Well, I know I say this a lot, but that was a great guest. Every time we have someone on that talks about uh, sustainability or energy efficiency, I feel like I learn a ton from the two of you. And I just was so impressed when Trevor went into the fact that he has a whole system where they use less drywall, less wood, less nails, like their homes are designed to be efficient from like, the creation of them to the use end user and like, how they move forward in the in the future.
1: Oh, so good. Yeah, no, the, the fact that they like create their own details for everything from the wall assemblies to the... You know, we talked, to think about it, the solar panels or the solar, solar awnings and they have like carpenters and electricians on staff that like can kind of create these really custom situations. Yeah, it's yeah, they know what they're doing. No wonder they've been in business for 30 years.
0: Yeah, that's why they have all those beautiful houses on their website. I literally <laughs> was so shocked. Well, I shouldn't have been that shocked that one of my favorite homes in Edmonton was one of theirs. <laughs> you You need to drive past it. It's like, it is literally so cozy feeling. That is what drew me to it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Windsor Park for the win.
1: (laughs) Windsor Park for the win. Absolutely. Yeah. The less waste thing, the whole Hugo thing. I'm curious about where you talked a little bit about it, but I don't think we have to give the listeners what they want here, Mariah. What is future Mariah's like wish list for her house? I got to hear it.
0: Uh, so I want to live in a home that's close to a transit station because, uh, both Ellie and I work downtown, um, minimal yard maintenance. I know you love gardening, but I don't have that green thumb and I'm very afraid of spiders. So don't, don't want that in my life. I grew up in a basement. I don't want that. Um, I also... Want like a good balance of like open space, but like cozy, and then beautiful like natural light in as many rooms as possible. Like even in my closet and bathrooms. Like I love windows and like experiencing outside inside, um, and that's why sometimes the privacy regulations that the city of Edmonton introduced just like grind me so hard. I'm like, like no, <laughs> let people have light. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you can't have Uh, windows somewhere where somebody else already has windows, yeah.
0: Why, though? Like, I grew up...
1: They were there first. It's Dib's rules.
0: (laughs) My, uh, I think we've talked about this on a past episode, though, but, like, my neighbors growing up, um, Colin and Russell, like, we were so close. We did everything together, like, got into so much trouble together, and their mom, Marla, literally was in the kitchen window all the time. I could always see her. Uh, she was a, she watched over the neighborhood just as much as my mom did. And like my mom knew that if we were out in the front playing or on the side streets, like riding our bikes or skateboarding, Marla was there like it wasn't a stress. They had like each other's back that way. So I'm not sure why if from my kitchen window I could see her was a bad thing. That's one girl. Blind, blinds are a thing too.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. Like, there's there's lots of ways around it other than like, you know, penalizing new developments for windows already existing in the next one. So yeah, we'll see where that ends up going. Um, you didn't mention energy efficiency. You want lots of windows, isn't that going to be uh, super energy inefficient?
0: Well. Can a girl have like walls <laughs> and thick windows and also windows. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. That was what I found very interesting from this conversation too, is like the, you know, in a previous episode, we talked about how two by six walls are kind of standard. And then Trevor completely poo-pooed that and said like, nah, two by sixes. We don't even bother with two by sixes anymore. We're two <laughs> by eights and two by tens. So like, I can't wait till we talk to the guy that's, you know, building Are 2 by 12s even a thing? Oh, man, we we need to get a carpenter on here to talk about wall assemblies and that type of thing. But yeah, energy efficiency. How important would you rank it? Uh, I mean, location sounds like it's fairly important to you, but where does energy efficiency in your home rank?
0: I think it would be pretty important. But honestly, like, most of our infill builders have that as a priority. Like, I think Habitat definitely does it to a different degree than others. Um, But I've never been in a house where I felt like it wasn't definitely taking leaps and bounds uh, to where uh, others may be developing or like the existing homes were. So I I kind of just see it as a default, but I probably need to put it on my list. (laughs) What about you?
1: Well, I think that's a good point. I think it should be a default, to be honest. And I think it might be becoming a default a little bit. But, and I, and Trevor definitely mentioned that with, uh, you know, some builders ripping off their designs. He's actually excited about it. It brings the entire industry up and kind of raises the level for everybody. So, yeah, my future house. Well, I mean, obviously, I already live in my future or my, uh, my, (laughs) uh, my forever house. But, um, no, I, location is very big for me too. I, I need to be close to kind of central because it's easy for me to run my business out of that. Um, it's easy to be anywhere in the city in twenty minutes, which is very good. Close to transit, which is very important to me. So location is always number one, and that's something that my wife and I kind of argued about a lot when we were looking at our house here. Um, but then the second thing, yeah, I'm a big gardener. I'm a big green thumb guy, so I'm a, a Lots of outdoor space is really important to me, and like the orientation of that outdoor space is is really critical. Um, right now, I have a north facing backyard, which. Uh, with a two story house and a very small backyard because I'm required to have a detached garage. It's challenging. I find it to be a very interesting challenge though. Like I'm I'm kind of playing with sun angles and I kill different plants every single year and I'm just trying new ones that eventually something will survive there. But yeah, outdoor space, location, that's, those are the two biggest things for me for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that required to have a detached garage is really frustrating Um, I'd like to see that change in the zoning bylaw renewal. I've talked about it at council before and to the zoning bylaw team. Like there are different users of spaces and not everyone's as fabulous as you are, Ryan, a tall white guy that is able-bodied. Like I cannot take in as many groceries as my husband can in one big trip, especially (laughs) if it's outside, nor do I want to struggle with that. I would like to have a warm way into in and out of my house. Um, and yeah, so I think breezeways should Mm -hmm. be a big part of how we build, rebuild our city. So that's something I want.
1: It is five steps, literally from my deck to my detached garage. Like the difference between that and having an attached product is, is almost nothing. Like it's, it seems insignificant. Um, the front yard setback, I don't think I would care as much about the detached garage if we didn't have to push our houses so far back on our properties too to be contextually appropriate. We have large front yards that just end up pushing our big houses into the back and then there's no backyard and these garages are pushed like right up against the lane too. It's it's chaos. So I think there's def- – I agree with you. Um, I'd like to see more breezeways, more attached product, but even something a simple change is just getting that front yard setback to be less than, you know, what we have currently with the contextual setup would, would go a long ways for sure. Who do we need to shout out today?
0: Uh, so I did hear from a listener. His name's Dave uh, that really enjoyed uh, the episode with Chelsea and what the discussion that we had with her. So thanks so much, Dave, for listening. Nice.
1: Yeah. Thanks Dave. And yeah, thanks for hanging out with me on this Friday. Have a good weekend.
0: Yeah. You too. Bye.